Man, thank you so much for coming today on Super Bowl Sunday. Got a little event happening this afternoon. Yeah. It's gonna be fantastic. It's a couple teams playing. We've, we've got the Philadelphia Eagles playing. Are there, are there any Philadelphia Eagles fans in the house today? Anybody, anybody? There's one back here. The baby is a fan already? Man, the parents are leading that child astray. <laughs> leading that child astray. We need to rededicate that baby up here right now to the Lord. Um, any, anybody else an Eagles fan? Any? No other? This is, this is Chief's kingdom right here. This is just <laughs> Chief's kingdom. <laughs> how, many of you, how many of you are going to a Super Bowl party? Just raise your hand. You're just hanging out. You're like, you're going to be excited about it. Um, anybody smoking wings? brisket, ribs. Did I say something? I said something bad. I'll have to rewatch that. Wings. Wings. I don't know what you heard, but what, what I said was wings. Wings. I'm gonna let you party how you want to though. So there's that. Um, whew. Wow, this, this sermon is off to a wild start, <laughs> to a wild start. How many of you know the Chiefs have given us some close ones this year? Some close ones. How, how many of you enjoy that? Anybody like really enjoy like the, just the thrill of that? Like, man, like, you're, like today you're wanting for a close game. You're like, yeah, let's just keep it close. And then right at the end, Bucker kicks a game-tying field goal to go into overtime. To win. Bucker for the win? Bucker for the win. How many of you want the Chiefs just to blow them out of the water right out of the gate? Like, it's like, it's very interesting, very interesting. It's a... It, the Chiefs, they, they keep it, they've kept us interesting. They've kept us in it. Um, I, don't know if my, I don't know if my heart can take it. I don't know if my heart can take it, but uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, really excited for, uh, for today. It's going to be a good time. And, and I, we were singing, we were singing, we believe for it today. I don't know who put the service together. Some of you are worshiping Jesus for your miracle. And then some of you are praying for a miracle in Arizona. I could just tell, you know, you're just like, we believe for it. Um, well, just really excited today. Let's take a moment. I want to welcome everybody who is joining us online right now. Come on, church. Can we welcome everybody who's watching with us? You're at home. You already started on those wings. Wings. Um, and now I want to encourage you to come back next week for Vision Sunday. It's one of the best Sundays of the year, Vision Sunday. It's a good time, and, and the reason it's a great time is because we're looking back at, at, at the year that was, and it's always good just to celebrate God and his goodness and his faithfulness to us. Um, and so last year was so great, and we've got, we've got some really powerful stories that we're going to be sharing about taking next steps. I promise you, this will encourage you. It will inspire you. Uh, it will transform your faith. I really want to encourage you to get here next week and bring a friend. 
bring somebody with you because it will, it will inspire them to believe God for great things in their life. And uh, we're going to be we're just talking about some of the things that God's laid on our heart as a church. And, and I promise that it, it's going to be a good time. And I can't, can't wait to share some of the things that I believe God is uh, calling us to do and, uh, and, and made available for us to step into. So I'm, I'm very excited about next week. Be here for vision. I think you're going to be really, really encouraged that you are. Uh, well, hey, we're jumping in, back into our Matthew series where we're, we're getting a firsthand close-up view of what it means to follow Jesus. And so Matthew, that's what, that's what Matthew was. He was a Jesus follower. He wasn't always a Jesus follower. He was a follower of a different kingdom. He was a follower of the kingdom of Rome. He was a tax collector. He sold out his people, was following Rome. But what he does is he finds Jesus. Jesus changes his life, and he gives us this this up-close, personal view of what it means to follow Jesus. And it's absolutely inspiring and amazing and fantastic. And he's showing us what the kingdom of God looks like. And we've been walking through this over the last few weeks. And we've looked at Jesus. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. He goes and overcomes temptation. Uh, he gets a couple of followers together, begins the, 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 uh, what will be this revolutionary movement. And then we get to Matthew chapter 5, where he begins uh, what will be the, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where we are today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can take your phone and download the Bible app. And uh, you can follow along with us there. But we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus' stump speech for his candidacy for, for ruler of the universe. That's what he's doing. So we believe that Jesus has, this isn't just the only time that he's given this talk or this sermon. This is something he probably shared everywhere he went. In the same way that a presidential candidate would go from city to city talking about what their platform is going to be. This is Jesus, and he's going from town to town talking about what his kingdom is, what it looks like, how to experience it, and why you want it. And so this is the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we're getting ready to, to go into this great, great series within the series of Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. I promise it's going to be amazing. And he starts off the Sermon on the Mount talking about something that all of us are looking for. It's happiness. In fact, a little survey. How many of you want your lives to be happy? Just raise your hand. Come on. He's like, I would prefer that over not happy, right? Like some of you are like out there. I saw you didn't want to raise your hand. And uh, you're just the Eeyores of the group. And uh, you just, I just want, I just, my life's fine. I just want it to be terrible because it will be anyways. <laughs> Jesus says, do you want to be happy? Most of us would say that we do. And society, seems like everything in society says, I want to show you how to be happy, right? Like so much of what we have available, uh, so much of the marketing that we get is we're going to get this and it's going to make our life. If you would just buy this, your life would be happy. If you just subscribe to this 30th subscription monthly that you have, then your life will be happy. Walk by a, a magazine rack in the grocery store, right? It's 21 days and 21 ways to make your life better so that you can be happy, right? 10 ways to lose 10 pounds and feel 10 times better so that you can be happy or six exercises to get six pack abs so that you can meet the person of your dreams finally and you can be happy, right? Like so much of us want to be happy. 
It's why we take vacations. It's why we get into relationships. It's why we save for retirement. It's why we have kids. (laughs) And then we find out kids are keeping us from happiness. Just kidding, I love my kids. I love my kids when they're sleeping. No, just kidding, I love my kids. But no, happiness drives so much of what we do and what Jesus starts this this stump speech of what will be his kingdom, he starts with happiness. He starts with this word blessed in the Beatitudes. And you guys, how many of you have seen the Beatitudes? Maybe you've been to Mardell, you saw a little pillow there or whatever, and you've seen on a wall, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. He talks about being blessed. This word blessed is a Greek word, makarios. Everybody say makarios. It means happy or to be congratulated or fortunate. It's, it's the best translation that we can come up with is like somebody won the lottery. That's the word blessed. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Have you, ever, have you ever gone down that little rabbit trail in your brain of winning the lottery? Come on, just raise your hand. Anybody ever done that? I like to do that from time to time. You know, when the Powerball gets, you know, really, really big and you're like, man, maybe, the, I mean, what would it, I mean, just, what would it look like if we won? You just start going through those mental progressions. Have you ever done that? Like, and I don't even need to win a billion dollars. I'm not greedy. I mean, 75 to 100 million is more than enough for me. I'm, <laughs> let's not be excessive. But have you ever thought about what it would be to, to win that? And, and of course, all of us have. That's a little bit of like the American dream. The American dream is kind of this mindset of what it would be to win the lottery. And so much of us grow up with that. What, what would it be like if I could make something of myself? What, what would it be like if I could accomplish all that, that this life has for me? A nice big house, two and a half kids, a couple of dogs, a cat, maybe a barndominium. Come on, somebody, on some acreage. You know, maybe some chickens because eggs are super expensive right now. You know, you start thinking about the American dream and Jesus starts talking about this word blessed and he's like, oh yeah, I wanna give you a dream. I want to give you something that you're longing for. I want to make, I want to help you be blessed. And then he reels us in and he takes everything that we think will bring us blessing and he turns it on its head. And he says, the things that you actually think are going to make your life fulfilling won't, but I'm going to give you the thing, the only thing that will. That's the kingdom of God. That's where God is ruling in our hearts. Because what he does is he starts as like blessed. Who wants to be blessed? Everyone's like, yes. And then he's like, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the persecuted. Doesn't sound very dreamy, right? Doesn't sound like the winning mentality that's gonna win a championship. How you know Andy Reid's not getting everybody together this afternoon, going, come on guys, I got the strategy right from Summit Park this morning. Here we go, taking it right from the Bible. We're gonna go out there, we're gonna be merciful. (laughs) We're gonna be persecuted. It's not the American dream. 
we, we honestly have the exact opposite mentality. And, and I'll be honest, like, they probably don't need to have that mentality to go win the championship today. But, what they, but in order to win the kingdom of God, you have to flip the script. You have to think differently. You have to think differently than the world thinks. And that's what Jesus is saying. And if we're honest with ourselves for a moment, if we really think about the people we wanna be, if you really think about the people you want around you, you want people who are merciful. You want people who are pure in heart. You want people who are peacemakers, who, who, who are in this for the right reasons. Those are the people you want, and those are the people you want to be. Because you can have the American dream. How many of you know you can, you can accumulate a bunch of stuff how many of you can have a bunch of things and a, and a giant house and you could still be completely empty on the inside? And yet you can have very little of what this world says is incredibly valuable. But if you are full of God, then you have everything you are truly longing for. And that's what Jesus brings us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So if you're ready to jump in, say am. All right, Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to hit a couple of verses today. And then we're going we're to look at a couple of different scriptures that support that. Matthew chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying happy is the person who gets the kingdom of heaven. Happy is the person who gets God. That person is the luckiest person in the world. That person is like they just won the lottery. The person who finds God. Now, let me just ask you this. If I were to ask you, take, take one of the mics off the stage here and bring it out to you and say, how do you get to God? What would your answer be? Don't, don't shout out loud. Just think about it for a second. What would your answer be if I asked you, how do you get to God? A lot of people... A lot of people say by doing good things, by being, by being better than I was, by improving myself. In fact, every religion in the world, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, they all say that if you do better, then it will work better for you in the end. Like they all have different versions of this. Islam, you know, if you do enough good things, then maybe Allah will receive you. Hinduism, if you do enough good things, maybe you'll be a skunk rather than a, or a butterfly rather than a skunk, you know, when you're reincarnated. If you do better, it will go better for you. That is religion. And, and what happened, what's unfortunate is a lot of Christianity is not much different. It's not much different. And so if I brought that, I brought the mic out to you and said, how do you get to God? You'd be like, well, you know, just doing better. You know, or just improving my life. So many of us fall into that trap. In fact, when I, I went to my uh, grandmother's funeral uh, several years ago, and the priest at the front was talking about uh, my, my grandmother and, uh, and how she was going to get to heaven. And I was like, all of the things that she was going to experience and why she was going to be able to experience it. And Dolores, we know that Dolores now is sitting with Jesus because of, and I just wanted to say, because of grace. Because of God's mercy. And he said, because of her works. 
And so much of me just wanted to rise up and say, no, because that is not the gospel, but that is what we have reduced it to. We have reduced Christianity to religion when Jesus never taught that. And we've missed it. What Jesus teaches in this very first beatitude, which unlocks all of the Sermon on the Mount, which unlocks all of the kingdom, there's no accident that he leads with this. He says, you need to be poor in spirit. Now, I just, if you're defining this, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Poor in spirit means realizing you are not enough. Realizing you are not enough. All right, now, turn to someone next to you and say, you're not enough. Just tell someone that. Just say, you are not enough. You can say it with a smile on your face, and it still stings. It's, it, it, feels really, it feels really weird to hear that. Do you know why it feels so weird to hear that? Because our society is indoctrinated with the philosophy that is contrary to that. It's the Disney theology that you are enough and that if you can just find your magic star (laughs) and if you could just wish upon that star and look deep down, deep down, deep down into yourself and just see the little person you were made to be and believe that you can accomplish your dreams. Isn't that right, Elsa? I mean, that is... Isn't that it? Like, just believe, just look deep down. And some of you have tried that. You've tried that, you're like, you just look deep down and you're like, I don't like what I see deep down. (laughs) Have you ever done that? You've been like, no, I I actually would rather not look deep down because it's nasty. Have you ever thought that, have you ever thought, have you ever said something where like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I want that. That is not me. It actually is. And what Jesus is saying is if you keep looking down, trying to believe in yourself and and accomplish something yourself, you will be miserable and you will miss it. But he says in order to find the kingdom, you have to be poor in spirit. You have to realize that you aren't enough. And I, I know I'm kind of poking fun at this, but it's important that we do this, church, because we have been indoctrinated, even though we don't realize it, with a philosophy that is contrary to the gospel. It infiltrates so much of our society. And so we subconsciously approach Christianity this way. And, and there's a lot of Christianity that is this way. So we have to get back to what Jesus said. Jesus said, you have to be poor in spirit. You gotta realize that you don't have what it takes. He's saying, if you want to be rich with happiness, you have to be poor in spirit. You could say this, Jesus is saying true happiness is not found in doing more, but in trusting in the grace of God better. It's looking to God, it's trusting God, it's believing God. That's where true happiness is found. And this is different than religion. And this is why Jesus is not starting a religion, he's revolutionizing religion. He's taking, he's taking what we understand of religion and he's flipping it on its head. Jesus didn't come to establish religion. He actually came to completely redefine our understanding of it. 
That is the gospel. And you say, Scott, prove it. Okay, let me show you this. If you look at Jesus, the most, the most uh, difficult interactions he had with people were the most religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They constantly went head to head. When Jesus would show up, these guys did not like it. Now, these guys, especially the Pharisees, they were rule keepers. We've talked about them before, but so here, like they would say like, this is the boundary line for doing something wrong. So we're gonna have another boundary line keeping us from that boundary line. And I think all of that's with good intent. I think like that's not a bad thing. Like there's good things about doing that. But what ended up happening is they would make a boundary line and then they would make another boundary line and then another boundary line and then another boundary line. And they would be so obsessed with not crossing this boundary line that they missed why they were not crossing the boundary line. It be, the, whole, the whole thought became about this instead of not sinning so that we could honor God. And so they lost the relationship. They lost, they lost the passion. They lost the interaction with God. And Jesus comes and he constantly challenges these people because they miss it constantly. Matthew 23 is an example. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, Again, now the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. Everybody respects them. And Jesus takes them on right, right out of the gate. He says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. He's like, man, they're giving you a good advice, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loaves, and they put them on other people's shoulders, and, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So what he's saying is what they love doing is just piling rule upon rule upon rule upon rule upon rule, and they'd be like, just deal with it. They've, they've lost the fact, no, I need it. I wanna come help you. They've lost the community aspect of faith. They've lost the relationship aspect of faith. And because of it, they're completely missing the point. And Jesus says, the key is being poor in spirit. To illustrate, I want to look at a parable found in Luke, Luke chapter 18. So we're in Matthew 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, go to Luke, Luke chapter 18. Matthew does not include this parable, and the reason I don't think that he does is because it might hit a little too close to home, because this parable is about a tax collector and a Pharisee, and Matthew is a tax collector. And so we're gonna, we're, gonna get to, we're gonna get to that here in just a moment, but I wanna jump in, Luke chapter 18, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Jesus says these guys go to experience God. One is the guy who's got it all figured out. The Pharisee, the guy who follows all the rules, the guy who, who makes sure he, he dots all the I's, crosses all the T's, and checks all the boxes. The other guy is the one who clearly doesn't. He's the worst of the worst. Tax collector, right? These guys have sold out their, their society to Rome. They, they, have, they, they have chased money. They've chased status. They have betrayed their people. These guys are not good people. And so in any story... The Pharisee should be the good guy and the tax collector should be the bad guy. But Jesus flips the script. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, 
I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. I go to church every Sunday. I volunteer. I go on Love Your Neighbor outreaches all the time. I give to missions, and when I worship, I have both hands fully raised. I mean, this is, this guy, he's like, I thank you, God, that I'm awesome. That's what he's saying. This is like Snoop Dogg at his Walk of Fame speech. Anybody remember that? Anybody see that? I want to thank me for being me. That's this guy. And he's basically saying, I want to thank me for not being him. And, And everything in religion says this Pharisee is the one who gets the gold star. This is the guy who who should be lifted up because he's done all of the things. He's checked all the boxes. He's dotted all the I's and crossed all of the T's. He should make it to heaven, especially in light of the tax collector. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So you have the Pharisee being like, I am amazing, thank God for how amazing I am. And then you have this tax collector who is terrible and yet has come to God saying, I don't even deserve to pray to you. He, he can't even look up. And everybody's like, he's the villain and he's the hero. And Jesus is like, nope, reverse. Watch, verse 14. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Who are the people who find God? It's the people who recognize that they need him. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down. Write that down. Those who find God recognize they need him. Let me ask you, do you recognize that you need God today? Have you come in here being like, no, I'm good. I got all my stuff together. Everything's just the way I like it. You will miss the kingdom. Or you're chasing a different kingdom. You're chasing your own kingdom. You're you're chasing the kingdom of this world, and you're missing the soul satisfaction that comes from truly being in relationship with the Savior who came and made his home among us, how are you approaching God? Are you approaching God based on your works or based on his grace? Jesus, this isn't like a theme of Jesus' ministry. It is the theme of Jesus' ministry. Matthew 18, Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 16 says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus' brother James will say, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture teaches God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Jesus is never trying to get us to do all of these things to get him to like us. He's wanting us to come to him in humility, recognizing we need God and we need to trust him. This is the essence of faith and it's the opposite of religion. And this is, this is so important because 
We're all, we're all trying to fix the brokenness in our heart, all of us. Anybody who comes into this place and says, I'm good, I got all my stuff together, I have got no issues, is lying. None of us are perfect. And what religion, so we're, try, we're, trying to, we're trying to heal our soul. And religion, it doesn't fix it, it actually makes it worse. It makes our brokenness worse. Because it will either do two things, it will make us frustrated because we can't accomplish it, right? Or make us arrogant because we can. And I wanna unpack that with you a little bit. First thing is this, religion will make us frustrated. Religion can make us frustrated. This honest moment of honesty here in church, how many of you have been frustrated by trying to keep all the religious rules? Just raise your hand, come on, just let's be honest. Have you ever just, you, you, you know, you get excited on a Sunday you leave, you're, you're, you're driving out of the parking lot. Like, man, that was so good. God, I'm gonna live for you. Man, that, I believe for it. Nothing unbreakable. Someone cut you off. Your salvation is gone already. You haven't even left the parking lot. You start saying stuff. The kids are like, oh my goodness. And then what do you feel? You feel really frustrated, right? You feel frustrated because you've already failed. Or you get up on Monday morning, you get your Bible reading in, check. And I got a little workout in, check. And I drink a glass of water, double check. View vitamins, you're feeling amazing. Somebody needs something, you help them. Check, you start feeling amazing. It makes you feel frustrated or arrogant, right? The frustrated, the frustrated part is like, is like a failed DIY project. Have you ever watched one of those HD TV shows and got all inspired? You start tearing stuff up. Like you're like, give me a hammer, that's it, I can do this. You like, you're like, I mean, come on, men, any men out there like, you're like, if that dude can do it, I can do it. Problem is that dude knows what he's doing. <laughs> and you don't, at least I don't. I, and I've learned, I've learned where my place is. It's making a phone call. Because <laughs> if not, if not, I'm gonna be really frustrated. Because I'm, I'm gonna, and that's what happens. In fact, there's this show, Renovation Realities, several years ago, I don't know if it's still out, but like people had gone in and like tore up their house spent tens of thousands of dollars trying to renovate, but just made it a whole lot worse. And then they have to call the expert in to come fix it. Why? Because they didn't have a relationship. They didn't have a relationship with somebody who could actually do something. They were trying to do it on their own. And that's how a lot of us approach our spiritual lives. We're trying to fix it on our own. And the reality is this, renovating without relationship will always lead to ruin. If, if, you, if you don't have a relationship with God, you will find yourself frustrated. You will find yourself, you will find yourself wanting to throw in the towel. And that's why so many people give up on Christianity, but they haven't done Christianity. They've done religion. They've tried to make their life better, but they haven't approached God in a way that says, God, only you can make my life better. 
So it will make us frustrated, or secondly, religion will make us arrogant. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told the parable. The reason he's telling the parable is because he saw people looking down on others. And he's like, that is not how this thing goes. But that's what religion produces, isn't it? Have you ever seen somebody, don't raise your hand, have you ever seen somebody who's really religious and is a whole lot of nasty? Have you ever, like, you're like, ooh, you're just, you're as nasty as everybody else. But you just have a Jesus fish on the back of your car. Because it makes us arrogant. You start feeling good. You start checking the boxes and you start looking down on other people. You start thinking that you're, and it's the trap of the enemy. And I think we have to be aware of that so that when we see it happen in us, we're like, oh, no, no, no. That's, that's not what this is about. God's not, God's not trying to get that spirit in me. That's a spirit of self-righteousness. And it's one of the most dangerous sins because you feel like you're being spiritual while doing it. And Jesus is like, no. And I think that's what Paul the Apostle is talking about in Galatians chapter 5. I love the message paraphrase. It says, I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are actually cut off from Christ because you fall out of grace. That's pretty, that's pretty bold. So here, I want to encourage you with this, that even in Right after Jesus was here, people started making this into religion. Like, I mean, this has been happening from the very beginning. And Paul was like, no, time out. That is not what this is about. And he says, meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. And I bet some of you are in here experiencing that. You've tried doing all of these things and you want this satisfying relationship with the Spirit. You're looking for the kingdom, but you're looking to put your faith in what you do and it's leaving you empty. The key to the kingdom is being poor in spirit. It's being humble. It's recognizing that you desperately need God. That's when God shows up. Not when you show how worthy you are to receive his love, but when you recognize you could never be worthy enough. So it leaves us, it leaves us empty. And so he says, for in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. He says, what matters is something far more interior. It's faith expressed in love. He says, what really matters is your heart. How's your heart? Where's your heart at? Are, are, you, are you looking for, thank you. It's right here, that's right, right inside, right inside. Amen. Where, where are we setting our heart? Where, where, are we, where are we directing the passion of our lives? What, what, are, we, what are we putting our trust in? What determines, what, de what makes you feel valuable? What makes you feel worthy? 
If it's anything less than God's goodness and grace, you will be frustrated or you will be arrogant. But man, if you get, if you get in relationship by, with God by being poor in spirit, then you can be fruitful. A relationship with Jesus will make us fruitful. Do you know that Jesus didn't model religion? He modeled a relationship with the Father that looked like fruitfulness. He, he was in constant communion with the Father, and it always resulted in a genuine love for God and compassion toward people. Think about that for a moment. What does your faith accomplish for you? Is it more judgment? Is it more frustration? Is it more pride? Is it more entitlement? Or is it more love for God and compassion for people? That's what Paul is saying. It's far more interior. It's far more interior. Now, I'm not saying living for God doesn't matter. It one million percent does. Honoring God with, with our lives, living holy lives. The Sermon on the Mount is gonna speak to that. So we're gonna get into these things. But how do we get into those things? That's the key. That's the key. Are you trying to get God to love you? Or you recognize that he already does in spite of you and that he's opened up the world of the kingdom for you if you've got to approach humbly. It's the only way that you experience it. What validates you? Is it Christ? Is it the love of God? If it is, then you will be fruitful. And this is what Jesus says. I, I love this. Matthew 11, again, the message paraphrase. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? How many of you know religion will burn you out? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. See, grace has a rhythm to it has a rhythm to it, and it's unforced. It's not by just trying to make it happen, saying, I will be better. It's by realizing that even on our best day, we could never be good enough to get to God. That's, do you know that that's why Jesus came? That's why Jesus died on a cross? Because even the best among us are not good enough to get to God. So it doesn't mean like we don't try to be good. I mean, no, we, we're just good because he's been good to us. It's a response to him. So we live grace. We live a response to God. And we, we say, God, I'm gonna follow you with all of my, all my heart, all that I am. And I realize that I don't have anything to bring to the table. That's the person who finds God. It's the person who realizes that they need him. So the application is, how are, you, how are you approaching God today? How have you been approaching God? Maybe some of you, you know, you've been super religious and it's made you either frustrated or arrogant. And in God's presence today, he's like, man, I want, I, want to, I want to take that from you and I want to put my unforced rhythms of grace in your life. Or maybe you've got something that you're going through. Maybe it's a, uh, it's a situation, it's a problem and you're trying to tackle it solely on your own, 
and you've got, you've got the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, just at the, at the edge of heaven saying, if you'll just call out to me, I will respond to you. I will meet you right there. I will help you. But you have to come humbly and you have to ask. And when you do, you will receive. That's how good God is. Amen? I mean, will you stand with me all across this place? I just want to take a moment and I want to respond to God. The reality, the reality is all of us will find ourselves falling into this trap if we're not careful. Basing, basing our righteousness on our own, on our own worth, on our own merits, and being frustrated or becoming arrogant. And God wants to take that from us and give us something so much better, grace. And so if you're here today and you have... Maybe your whole faith has been built on this. Maybe your whole understanding of God has been built on you doing better. And man, you're hearing this and it's kind of like, it's revolutionizing your mindset on faith. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do with the Sermon on the Mount. He wanted to revolutionize our understanding of God. Maybe that's happening today. Maybe for some of you, you're getting ready to face a situation or you're in the middle of a situation and you're needing to trust God first, God is here. Like, God is here. And he wants to help us, but the question is, will we ask for his help? So would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for your grace. Right now, Lord, we just invite your presence to come and move in this place. Lord, I pray for every person who is just contemplating all of this. For those that are away from you, God, that those maybe not in a relationship with you, I pray that this would be a moment where they begin to put their faith in you, where they begin to trust you and see the kingdom come online for them in a powerful way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, and this is speaking right to you and say, man, I've been trying religion. I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been trying to make things happen. I've been trying to make God love me. I've been frustrated. I've been arrogant. But I just, today, I just want to be a child. I want to be a child. I want to change and become a child and let his definition of me define me, that I am loved and I'm worthy, not because I am worthy, but because he makes me worthy, because his blood covers me and forgives me and he welcomes me in. If that's you today, and you're saying, man, I, need, I want to make a decision. I want to be a child, God, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And you're saying, this is speaking right to me, and I want to, I want to trust Jesus. I want to see his, his grace move in my life. If that's you, and you're saying, man, this is speaking right to me, Scott, I want to make a decision for Jesus to be my king, for me to stop being my king, and for Jesus to start. If that's you, and you're saying, this is speaking right to me, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands all across this place today. Scott, would you pray for me? And I want to pray and believe God to do something powerful. Just right now, yeah, lift your hands. Hands going up everywhere. I just hold it up. Keep it up if you would. I want to see every person. I want to pray for you, Father. I pray for every person who is raising their hand right now. Just reach out for God right now. Reach out for God. Lord, I pray for every person who is saying yes to you. Lord, I pray that you would move in their life. I pray that, God, they would experience salvation, unleashed, revolutionary Salvation, as you have defined it, Lord, trusting in you and seeing the power of grace unleashed in their lives. Lord, let it happen. Let it happen, we pray. Father, we thank you for you. In Jesus' name, you can put your hands down. We just celebrate that. So many people raising their hands. Church, can we just, can we honor God and just celebrate that?
So cool. So cool. I do want to take a moment and pray for another group of people. Keep your heads bowed for a second. You're here today, and you're facing something where you really need God to show up. I want to just give you an opportunity to say, God, I need you. Maybe, maybe it's with your business. Maybe it's with your finances. Maybe it's with your, your family, your kids, your spouse. And you're saying, God, I need you, and I humbly come to you, and I ask you for your help. If that's you, all across this place, would you just raise your hand? Maybe raise both your hands. Just begin to reach out to God if you would. Everybody, there's so many hands being raised. Can we just take a moment? Let's just reach out to God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we just ask that, Lord, you would come. As we are coming humbly to you, Lord, so many people in desperation asking for you to show up in their lives. God, I pray that you would. I pray for testimonies to be, to be had. Lord, I pray for miracles to happen right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would move, that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives, that, that God, you would show up and show out in power because of your grace, Lord. Let it happen, we pray. Let it happen, we pray. Thank you, Lord. I'm gonna ask those who will be praying for others to come down to the front. And in this attitude of prayer, worship team, you can come to the front right now if you would. In this attitude of prayer, I want us just to continue to worship, just to continue to press in. If you want prayer, something you're going through, we'd love to pray with you. If you wanna give your heart to Christ and you love to pray with someone, we'd love to pray with you. Going through a situation, come on down, let us pray with you. Where two or three are gathered, God is there, he moves. The rest of us, let's just continue to worship, honor, and invite our Savior into our situations and circumstances. Come on, let's worship.